Hello, and welcome to the final reports on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode 18. In this episode, we'll continue with chapter 5, A Coup in Search of a Legal Theory. Reading this portion of the reports will be Monty Montgomery. So, without further ado, let's continue. January 4th, 2021. President Trump publicly pressures the vice president during a rally speech in Georgia. President Trump did not relent either. His instinct was to increase public pressure on Vice President Pence, despite the vice president's consistent message to President Trump about the limits of his authority. That evening, during a Senate campaign rally in Dalton, Georgia, President Trump made it seem as if the presidential election hadn't already been decided and projected his unhinged ambitions onto his opponents. President Trump claimed that there's nothing the radical Democrats will not do to get power that they so desperately crave, including the outright stealing of elections like they're trying to do with us. We're not going to let it happen, President Trump said, adding, I hope Mike Pence comes through with this, I have to tell you. President Trump called Vice President Pence a great vice president, a great guy, as well as a wonderful and smart man. But he alluded to the vice president's role. He's going to have a lot to say about it, and added an ominous note. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much, President Trump said. January 5th, 2021. Eastman pressures Pence's staff in a private meeting while President Trump tweets. In a reversal of where the Oval Office meeting ended the day before, Eastman argues that Pence should reject electors outright. Eastman met with Jacob and Short again the following day. During the Oval Office meeting, the vice president had made clear that he would not unilaterally reject electors and, by pivoting to recommend the vice president send the electors back to the states, Eastman seemed to recognize this. But the following morning, Eastman returned to pressing for the more aggressive path. Jacob recorded Eastman's request on January 5, 2021, in a handwritten note requesting VP reject. Jacob later summarized Eastman's remarks as follows. I'm here asking you to reject the electors. This overnight reversal surprised Jacob because Eastman was returning to the more aggressive position he had seemed to abandon in the Oval Office meeting the day before. President Trump's tweets that morning may explain Eastman's reversal. While Eastman was meeting with the vice president's staff, his client, President Trump, was pressing the argument publicly. At 11.06 a.m. on the morning of January 5th, President Trump tweeted, The vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. As his tweet made clear, President Trump would not be persuaded by reason or the law. The president made this public statement despite the vice president's clear and consistent rejection of this theory, including during an in-person meeting the day before. During that same meeting, Eastman conceded that this aggressive path of rejecting electors was not advisable. 
Hirschman briefly participated in the January 5th meeting, seeing it as an opportunity to just chew Eastman out. Hirschman had already pushed back, brutally, on Eastman's theory regarding the vice president. In this conversation, he emphasized the need to fact-check dubious claims of election fraud. Hirschman told Eastman that somebody better make sure that the allegations Eastman provided to members of Congress were accurate before they objected to the certification of the vote the next day. Nothing should come out of someone's mouth that isn't independently verified and reliable. At the end of the morning meeting, Eastman concedes to Pence's counsel that his theory has no historical support. Jacob then had his own Socratic debate with Eastman over the legal merits of his position. According to Jacob, Eastman conceded much ground by the end of the session. Eastman all but admitted that it, his plan, didn't work. For example, Eastman had previously claimed to have found historical support in the actions of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who both presided over the counting of electoral votes when they were vice president. Not so. Jacob told the select committee that Eastman conceded in private that the cases of Jefferson and Adams did not serve as examples for the proposition that he was trying to support of a vice presidential assertion of authority to decide disputes because no dispute was raised in either case during the joint session. Jacob added, and moreover, there was no question as to the outcomes in those states. Eastman conceded that there was no historical support for the role that he and President Trump were pushing Vice President Pence to play. No vice president, before or after the adoption of the Electoral Count Act, had ever exercised such authority. This included then-Vice President Richard Nixon's handling of the electoral votes of Hawaii following the 1960 election. Though Eastman and other Trump lawyers used this Hawaii example to justify the theory that the vice president could unilaterally choose which electors to count, Eastman admitted to Jacob that Vice President Nixon had not, in fact, done what Eastman was recommending Vice President Pence to do. Eastman also admitted that he would not grant the expansive powers he advocated for Vice President Pence to any other vice president. Eastman did not think that Vice President Kamala Harris should have such power in 2025, nor did he think that Vice President Al Gore should have had such authority in 2001. He also acknowledged that his theory would lose nine to nothing at the Supreme Court. According to Jacob, Eastman acknowledged by the end that, first of all, no reasonable person would actually want that clause of the Twelfth Amendment read that way, because if indeed it did mean that the vice president had such authority, you could never have a party switch thereafter. If politicians followed Eastman's advice, you would just have the same party win continuously if indeed a vice president had the authority to just declare the winner of every state. The vice president's office was unmoved by Eastman's specious reasoning. As he left Mark Short's office, Eastman was thinking of his client's reaction. They're going to be really disappointed that I wasn't able to persuade you, Eastman said. 
Former Republican officials with executive, legislative, and judicial experience all agreed with Vice President Pence's conclusion about his limited role at the joint session. As President Trump's pressure campaign intensified, the vice president's outside counsel, Richard Cullen, turned for support to John Michael Ludig, a conservative former judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Eastman had clerked for Ludig, a man with impeccable legal and conservative credentials, more than two decades prior. Ludig rejected Eastman's so-called legal analysis of the vice president's role in no uncertain terms. In a series of tweets posted at 9.53 a.m. on January 5th, Ludig set forth his legal conclusions. The only responsibility and power of the vice president under the Constitution is to faithfully count the Electoral College votes as they have been cast, Judge Ludig wrote. The Constitution does not empower the vice president to alter in any way the votes that have been cast, either by rejecting certain of them or otherwise. Confusion in the media about where the vice president stood on this issue prompted former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan to reach out to the vice president to share his belief that the vice president had no unilateral authority. Short also spoke with former Speaker Ryan, and as he testified to the select committee, I said to him, Mr. Speaker, you know Mike. You know he recognizes that. And we sort of laughed about it, and he said, I get it. The vice president also consulted with former Vice President Dan Quayle, who reinforced and affirmed Vice President Pence's consistent understanding of his role. January 5, 2021, President Trump again pressures Vice President Pence in a one-on-one meeting at the White House and another phone call with Eastman. President Trump demanded to see Vice President Pence again that same day. Vice President Pence had canceled a planned lunch with President Trump, intending to work on the statement he planned to issue on January 6th to explain publicly why he wouldn't bow to the president's pressure. But Pence couldn't avoid Trump. Vice President Pence had to delay a coronavirus task force meeting later that same day when he was called to the Oval Office to meet with the president. The two men met alone, without staff present, While we have not developed direct evidence of what was discussed during this one-on-one meeting between the president and vice president, it did not change the fundamental disagreement between them about the limits of the vice president's authority during the joint session. Jacob said the vice president left the meeting determined. Vice President Pence did tell Mark Short what transpired during the meeting, but Short refused to tell the select committee what was said. Short described Vice President Pence's demeanor as steady. Short testified that the below excerpt from the book Peril may have been sensationalized, but was generally consistent with Short's understanding of the discussion. If these people say you have the power, wouldn't you want to? Trump asked. I wouldn't want any one person to have that authority, Pence said. But wouldn't it almost be cool to have that power? Trump asked. No, Pence said. Look, I've read this, and I don't see a way to do it. We've exhausted every option. I've done everything I could, and then some, to find a way around this. It's simply not possible. My interpretation is, no, 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 Trump shouted. You don't understand, Mike. You can do this. 
I don't want to be your friend anymore if you don't do this. Later that day, Jacob and Short were both present for a call between President Trump and Vice President Pence. Eastman and at least one other lawyer were with President Trump on the call as well. Eastman recognized that Vice President Pence was not going to change his mind on rejecting electors outright, but he still asked if the Vice President would consider sending the electors back to the states. I don't see it, Vice President Pence responded, but my counsel will hear out whatever Mr. Eastman has to say. Jacob received other calls from Eastman on January 5th. Jacob told the select committee that he had a detailed discussion with Eastman concerning the ways his proposal would violate the Electoral Count Act. Eastman resorted to a ridiculous argument, comparing their current situation to the crisis that faced President Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Eastman invoked President Lincoln's suspension of the writ of habeas corpus. He also told Jacob to stay tuned because we were trying to get some letters from state legislators indicating that they were interested in the vice president sending the electors back to the states. January 5th, 2021, an accurate New York Times article about the vice president prompts a false statement in response by President Trump. On the evening of January 5th, the New York Times published an article titled Pence Said to Have Told Trump He Lacks Power to Change Election Result. The Times reported on the tension brewing within the White House, citing people briefed on the conversation between President Trump and Vice President Pence that had taken place in the Oval Office the previous day. Vice President Mike Pence told President Trump on Tuesday, January 4th, that he did not believe he had the power to block congressional certification of Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s victory in the presidential election, despite Mr. Trump's baseless insistence that he did, the Times reported. The Times report was published at approximately 7.36 that evening. Jason Miller called President Trump to make sure he had seen it. President Trump spoke to Miller at least twice, once at 8.18 p.m. and a second time at 9.22 p.m. Immediately after concluding his second call with Jason Miller, President Trump asked to speak to the Vice President. President Trump and Vice President Pence spoke from 9.33 to 9.41 p.m. President Trump also spoke with Steve Bannon and Eastman, among others. At 9.58 p.m. on January 5th, President Trump issued a statement that he had dictated to Jason Miller disputing the Times' account. President Trump lied repeatedly in his short statement. The president claimed that the article was fake news. It wasn't. President Trump claimed he and Vice President Pence were in total agreement that the vice president has the power to act. They weren't. President Trump claimed the election was illegal. It wasn't. President Trump then laid out Vice President Pence's options for the next day, summarizing Eastman's theory. Our vice president has several options under the U.S. Constitution. He can decertify the results or send them back to the states for change and certification. He can also decertify the illegal and corrupt results and send them to the House of Representatives 
for the one vote for one state tabulation. This was also a blatant attempt to mischaracterize the vice president's position in the hope that public opinion would somehow sway the resolute vice president. President Trump knew full well at the time that he and Vice President Pence were not in total agreement. The Vice President's counsel, Greg Jacob, was shocked by the statement. The Vice President was not in agreement that the Vice President had the power to take the actions that were being asked of him that day, Jacob later told the select committee. Mark Short was furious as well and called Jason Miller to forcefully express his displeasure that a statement could have gone out that misrepresented the vice president's viewpoint without consultation. The vice president was obviously irritated that a statement putting words in his mouth was issued by the president and considered issuing his own statement contradicting President Trump's. Ultimately, Pence and Short concluded that it was not worthwhile since it was already late in the evening and they expected the question to be resolved by Vice President Pence's Dear Colleague letter the next day. January 5th, 2021. Bannon publicly amplifies the pressure on Vice President Pence. While President Trump misrepresented the Vice President's agreement with Eastman's theory, his on-again, off-again political advisor, Steve Bannon, pressed President Trump's campaign against Vice President Pence in public. Bannon echoed the public pressure on Pence that the president continued to propagate by talking about his purported authority. The select committee learned from phone records that Bannon spoke to President Trump at least twice on January 5th. During a January 5th, 2021 episode of War Room Pandemic, Bannon and his guests openly berated Vice President Pence. Bannon cited an erroneous news report claiming that Senator Grassley would preside over the certification of the Electoral College vote instead of Vice President Pence. Bannon's co-host, Rahim Kassam, took credit for the public pressure placed on Vice President Pence. I want to remind people who has been sitting here saying, Light Pence up for the last couple of weeks, right? That would be Rahim Kassam. They then discussed President Trump's speech in Georgia the previous evening. I think the President of the United States took your advice last night, wrote a line in there, Bannon said. To which Kassim responded, and yours, hold the line. Jack Posobiec, an alt-right personality with a large Twitter following, chimed in, quoting a member of their audience as saying that Pence will betray Donald Trump. In response, Bannon stated, Call the play. Run the play. The play was Bannon's version of the Green Bay Sweep, a plan to subvert the transfer of power on January 6th, named for a brutally effective power-running play developed in the National Football League, NFL in the 1960s. Steve Bannon's political version of the sweep was intended to undermine the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election. One account of Bannon's Green Bay sweep comes from Peter Navarro, director of the White House Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. 
Navarro refused to cooperate with the select committee and was subsequently indicted for contempt of Congress. Although he doesn't fully explain in his book, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plaguier, how Bannon's sweep was intended to work, Navarro writes that Vice President Pence was envisioned as the quarterback who would assert his constitutional power to delay certification. Navarro writes that his own role was to carefully document the fraud and myriad election irregularities, while Bannon's role was to figure out how to use this information, what he called the receipts. Navarro's account helps explain why Trump and his loyalists became so fixated on Vice President Pence. They saw Vice President Pence as their last hope for keeping President Trump in office. Navarro writes of Pence's supposed betrayal. In a telling sentence, Navarro likens Vice President Pence to Brutus, a Roman politician and the most famous assassin of Julius Caesar. Navarro writes, On this cold, momentous day, I shiver as I think to myself, January 6th will be either Mike Pence's finest hour or the traitorous et tu brute end of both his and Donald Trump's political careers. The goal of these Trump allies was clear, to overturn the election result. Statements by participants in this effort indicate there were several different endgame strategies in mind. One was to get the vice president to unilaterally reject the electoral college votes of Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and other states then simply declare that Trump had won a majority of the electors actually submitted. The other major possibility was to reject or return the Electoral College votes of those states and then declare there was no majority in the Electoral College process, thereby triggering a so-called contingent election under the Twelfth Amendment. This would have meant that the House of Representatives had chosen the president not on the basis of one member, one vote, but on the basis of one state, one vote, pursuant to the Twelfth Amendment. Donald Trump's strategists emphasized repeatedly that the GOP had a 27 to 22 margin in control of the state's congressional delegations, with Pennsylvania being tied at 9 to 9, therefore presumably a non-factor. This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios under a contract with SAG-AFTRA. Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info at 20-08.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And of course, please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.